Welcome to the Social Impact Pulse, a podcast where we aim to cultivate intimate conversations with entrepreneurs working at the intersection of the sustainable livelihoods and lifestyle sectors. Each episode is a no-filter conversation with entrepreneurs where we dig deep into the values they hold dear and how that molds and shapes the social impact they strive for through their organizations. In this episode, we are joined by Dr. Jeanette Habashi, founder of two brands whose mission is to empower women in Palestine. Darza is a non-profit ethical fashion brand creating authentic handmade Palestinian products and Zeki Learning, a non-profit educational toy brand that produces ethically made learning resources in Palestine. We hear about how her background in educational psychology led to the founding of both brands, the moments that have made her proud, her desires and aspirations for the brands, and how she would like both brands to be remembered. On with the show. My name is uh, Janet Habashi. I'm the founder of uh, Darza.org. It's an ethical brand, sustainable uh, ethical brand, handmade product by artisans, uh, refugee artisans in Palestine. And I'm also the founder of Zeki Learning, It's uh, an education material brand that uh, upcycle uh, fabric from local uh, areas in Palestine. And we also hire refugee and low-income Palestinians. So our mission is to empower women in Palestine. And therefore, we created two brands to diversify our opportunity to sell and open the market for our product. Hi, Jeanette. Welcome to the podcast. To get us started, could you tell us how all of this came to be? What was it that prompted you to start two brands? So in 2009, I organized early childhood international conference in Palestine, in Bethlehem City. And my students wanted to come to the meeting, my graduate students to the conference. And I said, okay, if I'm supporting you and writing this letter to get you funded, all of this, we need to do something. We're not going to Palestine and it should be like a tourist exercise. It's not a zoo. You go and look at things and leave. We have to do something. And they said, okay, let's do something. What you want us to do? So I called my friends in Nablus and in refugee camp. And I said, what we can do? And they said, we need music instruments. I said, okay, that's easy. So I went back to the students say, we need music instruments. So they start doing some fundraising. Initially, it was selling cookies and all of this. And I'm like, how are you going to get music instruments with $1? You know, (laughs) like, okay. So, okay. So people started baking, students baking, selling and sitting like, oh, I got $20. I'm like, okay, that's good. Funny enough, I did uh, sesame bars and nobody bought the sesame bar. They thought it's sweet. <laughs> Although the cookies are more sweet, chocolate cookies. It was, it's, it's, it's what, what I learned about that. Although it doesn't get you the money, it spread the concept. And this is what I learned afterwards. Of course, it's not going to make money, but it's the initiative. People start talking about it. Look what they're doing. So after that, we started doing yoga classes, somebody came and donated yoga. They did different fundraising and, and we collected uh, some music instrument from different store, Best Buy, I think. Somebody got us from Best Buy or something, keyboards. So we went to Palestine. Our target was to give six schools, including centers in the six. 
and we had violins, uh, we had some instruments, and we had two keyboards with us. And I remember going with the keyboards to the school in Nablus. And the music teacher came and said, we cannot use these, these keyboards. And I'm like, why? He said, the Eastern music tones or whatever you call them are totally different than the West. So the keyboard for the West does not do the same music for the East. I'm like, God, one year of work is out of <laughs> But that was fine because you learn, but I didn't bring all of the music instruments. Like I brought what was donated, but the rest was in cash. So we bought locally uh, music uh, instruments. So I learned that lesson, but I kept working with the refugee camp in Geneva. So we continue doing fundraising, not for music instrument, for after school program. Refugee um, school system, they have shifts in school system. One morning, uh, a shift in the morning, shift in the afternoon. So students don't have the quality of education. They don't have eight eight, uh, hours of school. They have three hours and a half and so on. So we said the best thing is to fundraise for a tutor for after school. So we fundraise for a teacher to teach uh, in the refugee camp after school program. We did it for three years, I believe, or four. Then after that, like every year I go and, you know, go to the camp, you build a relationship. And the mothers asked me to find them a job. They said, if you find us a job, I can figure out my son education, you know? And it, it hit me because if you, support the woman, you're supporting not the child, you're supporting the whole community, the family, and so on. I'm like, okay, that's a good proposition, but do I have the skills? Okay, like fundraising, it takes a lot of work. Anyhow, do I have the skills for that? But I said, okay, what I can do, I said, okay, my background is in education psychology. I, my network is in that school system. Maybe we could do toys with that. And we don't have even a design school in Palestine or anything. The UNESCO used to offer like training for interior design. We hired a person from interior design to do design toys and building. It was an interesting experience. It took us at least a year to do, I think, the first prototypes, uh, the toys. But we started like establishing Zaki learning, but we had to leave the, the refugee camp and move to a village close to the refugee camp. It, uh, it, there was multiple issues in the refugee camp that, you know, require us to move. But while we, like people started learning that we're, you know, offering jobs and training, they said, okay, can I get the job and so on. And then we say, okay, let's do darza.org, which is the fashion, the shoes, and the whole thing. And at that time, we were uh, doing a research, and we noticed that J. Crew used the Palestinian motifs to do their shoes. And I was so mad about it. I'm like, you know, you're appropriating our, you know, heritage is Palestinians have been doing Tatris for thousands of years. It's not like, you know, until J. Crew came in. And I'm like, okay, we'll take on the challenge. 
So we started doing prototype for the shoots. Also, it's, it took us months and months. And we started Darza. So in a way, we started hiring more people. Initially, our hire were four, and then started six full-time. Now we have a beautiful space in Zabadi, in this village, a beautiful a house, like with arches, big windows, gardens, and we have six full time and we work with 26 women in nine villages. Started all of it with $4,000. It's crazy. I'm like, I cannot believe it. And our artisan now she's training um, because Tatrice, you cannot do it in eight hours. So we cannot hire full time people in Tatrice because Traditionally, you like you do it between shores. If you're having a cup of tea or coffee, you do tatrias. And we provide them the we go to their houses. They don't need to move. They take care of their children. But recently, our artisan is like approaching leading artisan people like people with disability. So, you know, our anything that we're working within our mission. So. She's really good at selecting who needs the support. Wow, what a great story of how both brands came into existence. So if you think back to how it all got started, how do you cultivate impact at a personal level? And then how does that manifest itself through both Darza and Zeki learning? So I think most of the time, impact, especially in business model, is measured by dollar. Okay. And what is interesting now recently, and I think part of the part of the movement of of, uh, sustainability and climate change and all of this impact is should address not only economic, culture and, and social. So my my impact is, I would say, I'm not only supporting the woman. I'm supporting the family. I'm supporting the community. Like we are the only organization in Zabebde that has a woman empowerment project. We only source our product from Palestine. If even if it's like we don't have the material, the buyer wants it, we always offer them an alternative. Okay. This is what's in the market. We can do it good with this, what is available. You know, I'm not going to ship something from Far East to bring it here. It it makes no sense because I'm not supporting the local economy. I want to I want the whole local economy to be part of my discourse. So my impact is that I know the children of the, the artisans have their they have improved their life. You know, they have a plan, you know, what they want to do. The mayor of the village is coming and talking with me how we can help, how you could help us is and changing the discourse about how to look at at the work of artisan. So for me, it is not only a dollar item. And I also find my impact is within the students I work with. Like we have almost 50 something interns students working with us. Every semester we have more. So all of these people are learning about, you know, what our brand stands for, the product and the work of artisans. So you're, you're impacting people 
not only in their life, but you're impacting people in the U.S., teaching them about your course and the customers who buy from you, they all, you also impact them. So there's, there's a relationship that is part of the impact. It's not only dollar sign. Jeanette, reflecting back on your journey, what are three moments that have made you proud as founder of both Darza and Zeki Learning? You know, you know, it's I cannot I, I cannot quantify it, but I'm going to tell you some stories that made me moved. You know, especially when there's uh, the leading artisan. I talk with her regularly. And sometimes she goes into details, details of like, this is the process. This, and I have no clue what she's talking about. Yes. But at the end of the call, her son will be there and say, I want to talk with Auntie Jeanette. And it's that relationship with this boy. I'm like always saying, if I did not have that project, I would not have this relationship with her son. They live in a village, like there is season of picking up the figs or season picking up the chickpeas, green chickpeas. And he will say, I, I kept some small amount for you in the freezer. When you come and visit, I'm keeping this for you because you don't have it in the U.S. And I'm like, that sweet guy, you know, he's I know him for the last four years. And it's it's, you know, I see him once a year. The, the last two years, I didn't see him. But that makes me so happy. That relationship with this boy makes me so happy. Like, it's, it's unbelievable. It's so unique. And he, he, like, he will tell me about his day, the teacher, what they did, all of this. And it's like, you know, I'm his neighbor. This is, it's, it's, it's always beautiful. Another thing that I always... I'm proud of is when I go to the center and the artisan will have stuff for me to do. Like last time I was there, you know, there is a quality control person who does quality control. And she was like, she had too many things to do. And she said, okay, these two bags, you have to finish them. And if you cannot finish them, you have till tomorrow to finish them. I'm like, I have to leave today. No, we have to finish them. And I, I love that relationship with them, that makes me very proud. Of course, I have these customer stories that, you know, this product was, we talked about this product over dinner for two hours. You know, that was really good and inspiring. We, we do customize a product like one person got married and she wanted to do her flower wrap for her wedding, Tatrice. I'm like, this is so beautiful that you're coming to us to do it. So that's that makes me happy. And when they do it, the woman, I'm like, initially they will say, well, what? But when they do it, they say, wow, like, woo. <laughs> so no, it, it's 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 challenging, but it's the whole thing. We started from nothing, from literally. Nothing. Look where we are. And everybody was betting on us to to collapse. We have we get email from different Palestinians organization from Palestine. Come and help us. How did you manage? I'm like. When we approach you said you're using the wrong model, you're stuck with the wrong model. And nobody was listening to me. 
and they're still stuck, but they want the experience, but they don't want to change the model. Well, that's a great segue to our next topic. And that is, what are some of the challenges you face and what is it that keeps you up at night? Keep me up, making sure that we have enough money to cover the cost for the woman and the operation. That keeps me up all the time. Do I have enough, especially we're trying to find someone to help us in the U.S.? Do we have not the right experiences for this person to hire, but do they have the right passion? You know, some people go to their work, they do their work and leave. But you need to have the right passion to do this, even if you have the right money. And you find the right person to the right skills. If they don't have the passion, it, it's, it's not going to work out. Every year I say the next year is going to be better. So last year was really bad. COVID killed us. This year you have to catch up to make up the, the bad year. But I have a feeling next year will be better because, you know, traditionally you need money to make money. We don't have money, but we're making like some money to cover the cost. But we can see our potential, but we need that support to to reach that potential after a few. You know, we, we tested the market. We know our customers. We know we know how to approach them. But to move to the next level, you need that support. You need, you need support in staff. You need support in, in uh, infrastructure because we started like two sewing home sewing machines, like, you know, two basic machines. Now we need, you know, industrial machines. We need different kinds of machines. We need to train more women. We need to have the money to do samples on leather. We don't think about the cost all the time. You know, then you need good photographer. You need good social media present. You need somebody to take administration, all of these good stuff. There's a lot of work. Shifting gears slightly, if you had to write an obituary for Daza and Zeki Learning, what would it be? How would you like both the brands to be remembered? Mm. I Hopefully we, I will not write an obituary this coming five years. Okay, let's let's agree on that. I have no I think every journey there's an end, you know. I I would like people to remember to see Palestine in a different lens. See the history of the trees. The history of the trees is the history of Palestine. It's been there for 5000 years. Palestinian people have been there. So that legacy part of it I want also to tell people Palestinians are interested in education. That's part of legacy of, of Zeki. You know, we're interested. We're, we're, as much as we're interested to fight for our rights, we're interested in education. And one of the product example, it's me. You know, this community emphasis on education is huge. In the early 80s, we were one of the biggest production of education in the Middle East, you know? So it's the whole resilience story of Palestine. And, and we're, we have the same dreams as everyone. Everybody wants to send their children to school. They, they want to have comfortable, convenient life without struggling. 
I would like to think about the organization of trying to do these simple things, but also showing who is a Palestinian. Thank you. That's great. Well, what would you do if the sky was the limit and there was nothing holding you back? What are some of those big dreams and aspirations for the brands? I want to create a consortium. I know there is like consortium in the West, the whole thing, but I want to create a consortium, Palestine, Middle East, whatever you want to call it, with a brick and mortars, with a store, that you go into the store. If you need your cup of coffee, this is artisan made. There's a cup of coffee. You need a cup, buy the cup. Anything from the morning till the evening is available, done by artisan, high quality. Challenge the whole discourse of we're buying from you as a charity. I'm buying this like I'm going to any other place. I'm coming to you. It's, it's, I, I should not look at the artisan wor- uh, work as different or like, you know, I'm supporting handmade, the whole thing, different than going to a big brand. I want that to be equal, going to coming to this store, presenting these products as going to a big brand. One-stop shop, but the message is it's artisan work, but, you know, of course, branding is something. For, that's why you have all of these big, big brand like, I've, I've seen a brand in uh, Italy, their bag go up to $40,000. I'm like, I'm not going to charge anybody that way, but, you know, elevate the idea of artisan work that is huge. Not only, oh, we're hiring these developing countries. You know, I think that this course should change, you know, made in Italy. Oh, okay, it's worth it. I'm paying $20,000 or $2,000 or $200. But artisan should be like less. We we have to elevate the the work of artisan to change the discourse. I I think there is like West Elm, their goal, I think 2030 to make 50% or I don't know, 50% or 60% of their product by artisan. I think they have a factory in Bangladesh. All right. I like the way they they present, like when they show a blanket, they would say maybe the color is not all of it the same because of the dyeing, it's handmade dyeing and the whole thing. They educate the customer. You know, the price, it's still, you know, it's West Elm price. Okay. And it's it's a cool idea because they're like trying to show their customers these are handmade, these are the women are doing the whole thing, you know. But it's interesting, you always need a medium to promote your artisan. And I think they they should be someone somehow that you don't need a medium, the public will understand it without a medium. We often talk a lot about educating consumers in this space. And sometimes I wonder the role that both convenience and pricing plays as part of the consumer decisions. For example, people often shop at, say, a big box store like Walmart or Target because of the convenience and the pricing that suits their pockets. Would you agree? It's, it's, 
interesting. I have a feeling even Walmart, their prices is going to go up because, you know, eventually any middle class Chinese are going to ask for their rights. They need labor rights, all of this. The prices should go up. And in, in, in a way, why you need to buy 10 T-shirts, the same thing, you know, consuming shouldn't be that much. The education of, it, it, it should, you know, you buy it because it's cheap and the whole thing. But when the price changes, I think it should be an opportunity for, to educate you know, you have, an alter, you have an alternative. This price is similar to that price. Maybe it's more if you buy, you know, fair trade sugar compared to regular sugar. You know, I pay more $1, but I know I did a good thing. And you could, there's a wave, you know, even Walmart can come in and do it. Because I think part of people going to Walmart is, convenient you know you go to one store you buy everything and you leave you know you could put more you know product there target is trying to do something like that i think part of all of these things is a pr you know not it's, it's not going to hurt their pocket if they worked with like one or two artisans and only put it in certain store but uh, i think there is PR or not PR, I think it's, it's good to start educating the public about it. You know, at the end of the day, I think generally people, they want their life to be more convenient. You know, so maybe when the prices of, you know, these Walmart changes, customers start saying, oh, it's not a big deal. I can buy from artisans. This has been such a great conversation, Jeanette. Before we close, what advice would you have for entrepreneurs in the social impact space? Uh, it's a lot of work. It's a commitment. Somebody told me that from OU, his name is Jeff. He said, you're going to lose people because you're going to be so focused on the project and people who used to be, you know, spend time with them and, you know, do stuff with them. You're focusing on the project. You're losing relationship. So be ready to, to have that experience. Persistent, I think. Persistent, flexibility. If somebody gives you feedback, take it, even if it's painful. And be willing to reinvent yourself. I think that's a big thing. If you get the resilience and reinventing and feedback and learning, you, you will survive. Many thanks for listening to this episode of the Social Impact Pulse. We hope you enjoyed it. We'd love to hear your feedback and feel free to rate and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't already, do check out our accompanying animation created especially for this episode. The Social Impact Pulse is a project of the Artisan Gateway and soon to be launched, Their Stories Be Told. 